Folks, we finally made it here. It's the Sopranos Podcast, Season 5, Episode 11, The Graveyard Slot. You're not prepared! That's a quote from Tony Soprano's subconscious in the form of Colch Molinaro in this Season 5, Episode 11 of The Sopranos, entitled The Test Dream. This madness was written by David Chase and Matt Weiner and directed by Alan Coulter. I went to a nail salon with my mom the day after this episode aired, back in 2004. And I think it was a some kind of holiday, forget, I, I could look up the date, but it doesn't matter. I was off from school and I went to a nail salon with my mom. And every woman in the place getting their nails done was complaining about this episode. Oh, <laughs> what a time waste. It was awful. They have two episodes left. What are they doing? Ugh. So I'm going to start this off with a question, and then we can get into our usual discussion. Was this a pretentious, bullshit waste of time at a pivotal moment in a pivotal season, or is this unbridled genius? <laughs> or something in between? What was the test dream to you? What does this episode mean off the jump? Well, is it the episode uh, Funhouse where Tony experiences the food poisoning? Yes. That leads him to conclude that he must uh, whack Pussy because Pussy has turned uh, as an informant for the FBI. This is uh, sort of a new version of that. It's extraordinarily relevant to the plot. Tony could have this epiphany that Tony B has to go any number of different ways. And he could have had that in a way that is more typical than having an elongated, very strange dream sequence. But this is the way the team chose to go. I think it's genius. I, I resent the idea that this would be considered filler. And if it is pretentious, it is only in that it offers many ways to look at it. And I think that is exciting. Well said. Uh, a couple of weeks, I think, or a couple of months ago, one of the last times that we got to both record together and hang out together. I forget what we were, how we got on this subject. I mentioned that one of my favorite um, movies is E.T. And Jordan said something about it. He said that one of the things that makes it work so well is that it shouldn't work. Hmm. That is the way I feel about this episode. I kind of think this shouldn't work. Yeah. Because the first 20 minutes or so ratchets up in the traditional way that the women from the nail salon might have well expected the sequence of events that's going to charge us toward the end of the season. Then Tony goes to sleep in a hotel for 45 minutes. Hmm. That's what happens. Yeah. Why is it interesting? Why does it work? Why does it not only work, but I'm leaning forward more as the episode goes on, as we're digging deeper into subconscious and unconscious ideas, fears, uh, problems from the past, the whole thing. So that's what I think about it. It is decidedly a different episode, it's not the first episode that we've done dream stuff in. It's not the first episode where the dreams have taken over. But it's the first episode where the second half is just a dream and we're just in it. And what the way that we need to put the story together is so much more important than even what I think is happening. I think part of what happens here is our reflection of it, our reflection of the culture of this show. There's a huge dichotomy between what's real and what's not even in the moments that are outside the dream sequence the scene before angelo gets killed he's listening to a song in his car called peanuts which is by frankie valley hmm. who in the show is playing a character there's a bunch of stuff like that 
So this show is blo- so this episode even is, the real stuff feels dreamlike almost sometimes more so right yeah. yeah um it's all deliberate it's beautifully done if it's pretentious then I'm pretentious or I love pretentious stuff I don't know can't say enough nice things yeah. about this episode it somehow makes the show more enigmatic and we could talk about it all day I would say it's pretentious might be pretentious might if the creators weren't aware of the reaction this would get. I am 100% sure that the people behind the show had to know that there would be a segment of the fan base that was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> we have two episodes left and you're spending... Because viewers of television have been trained to think that Dream is dream doesn't matter, or Dream is a fake-out, or a way to dupe the audience. That's not what's happening here. I think uh, that got misunderstood. David Chase is not trying to troll people by writing this. They're not trying to put people on. This show is every bit as much an exploration of the human being, Tony Soprano, his subconscious, what's going on inside, as it is about the mob stuff. And sometimes you get a little bit more of one, and a lot of times they bleed together. This season has been very mob-heavy. I don't. I think this this episode absolutely rules. I am... As an artist, as a creator, a writer, an actor, someone who's done film and television, I'm vexed by the creation of this. I don't understand how this gets written. I don't understand how this stuff is so layered and so bizarre and so creative. I don't know how it gets put to paper in the first place. It's just just baffling, the the things that connect. And we're going to get into it when we actually get into the dream. But there's so much here, and you can really look at it any kind of way. Yeah, I'm going to go down a side road and then come back around if you both don't mind. In 1943, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote Oklahoma, which is a musical that many people don't like, and certainly it's an old folksy musical that I think a lot of people write off as thus. Uh, but there's a lot of new ground that was broken in that musical, and it's, it's direly important to the history of musical theater, and we would not have a lot of modern theater forms without that musical in particular. One of the forms that are in that musical <clears throat> is the end of Act One, there is a dream ballet character Lori goes to sleep and she uh, has a wild nightmare that lasts 15 minutes in which uh, the love of her life Curly, uh, you know, kind of gets away from her and he's ultimately murdered by a character named Judd and in the middle there's all these dancing girls and there's corn and uh, you know, there's there's these French girls that are dancing like the girls that are in Judd's pictures and it, it has, you know, dream logic to it. And were you to sit there and ask the why of it, you would sort of miss the point. The point is that dreams, more than traditional storytelling, allow you to access things like foreshadowing, uh, symbolism, characters, internal conflict, and feelings uh, in ways that don't have to be sequential, and in ways that don't have to make sense in terms of narrative flow. And that's very, very important. In a way, it's like you're mainlining uh, a character's uh, base inner feelings. So dream sequences actually, I think, are more potent. They're not a dilution. Mm. Um, Therefore, I I think episodes like The Test Dream fascinate us and lure us in because we feel like great truths are being revealed. I think the reason why the so-called hits and tits crowd feels so unsatisfied, and that, of course, would be the viewers who just really watch the show for the mob stuff, tolerate the family stuff, and abhor everything else, (laughs) uh, you know, is, uh, you know, know, their frustration is valid because that's the reason why they're watching, but the reason why they're deeply unsatisfied is because the the stuff that is so satisfying about the dream is the stuff they don't care about, ultimately, Mm. right? It is the stuff that looms large in the show. It is this uh, sense of the common man, uh, and he is wrestling with himself, 
and he is doing so through art. Yeah. And that is what all of The Sopranos actually is. And what this episode constantly references, as Paul already pointed out, is that it has self-awareness as a television show. Mm. And as it gets bigger, it has awareness as a significant thing in our culture that is tied in a web work to other things in our culture. High Noon, uh, Goodfellas, uh, you know, uh, so much else. And that significance is kind of what powers the test dream. Uh it's really amazing. I think it's only pretentious if you don't care about it. And sadly, there is a portion of viewers who don't. Don't care. And also, I'm I, I, I going to try my best not to sound like a snob when I say this. So help me out. Put me in check if, I, if this is a bullshit thing to say. I think a lot of people, when they watch television, and five seasons into The Sopranos, I don't know what you're doing still watching this show if you're not striving for something that is beyond escapist entertainment. But I think a lot of people maybe didn't get the test dream. And look, I don't get the test dream. We don't have answers. We're going to delve in. We're going to try to make connections, find things. But I'm not going to sit here and say that we have some grand explanation for all of this. Quite the opposite. Whereas I see something like that, and I'm wowed and in awe of it, and I want to talk about it, and I'm excited by something that is mysterious that I don't understand. I think some people, just their personalities watch something like that and get mad that they don't understand it and thus resent it. Like, what is all this shit? Sure. Sure. I think also, one of the, I think that's a, all good points. And I think to defend all of the audience, as well as David Chase and the gang, the writers, that self-awareness, I think it still retains that Sopranos quality where it's fun, not superficial, but it is playful. You don't need a degree in dream interpretation or English literature to get it and laugh when Tony has the, when Tony's sitting on Piomai in the house and Carmela says you can't have your horse in here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait, what did she say? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody gets it. Well, and that's just it. It's entertaining. You can't tell me this isn't entertaining. It's also as deep as you want it to be. Right. Now, three guys like us who are pretty much academics, right? We're going to go as deep as we can because it's fun for us to do it. It's rewarding. That's what we get. It's not rewarding for everybody to do that. Right. Not everybody is an academic, nor should they be, right? Uh, folks who are more casually viewing this or viewing this purely for entertainment purposes, they deserve to be satisfied as well. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. Correct. Yeah. I'm saying say that if you judgment. just want to take this as a surface thing and it's just like, oh, okay, I got to get it. This is this is a fun way of him kind of figuring out, like, I got to get rid of my cousin, right? That's totally fair. And, and that was just the journey of this. But if you really want to sit in every scene and discuss each little sequence in the dream for an hour, they made it that deep for you to be able to do that. Absolutely. And I think if you want to do that or don't want to do that, when the scene, when the whole sequence of events apexes into mm -hmm. what seems like a recurring dream for Tony, the confrontation with Coach Molinaro, you're not prepared, that's just a version of, I'm here to take the test and I don't remember anything, or I show up at school and I'm naked, which everybody's had. Yeah. So yeah. again, doesn't everybody have some kinetic connection with it? Even if it's not an intellectual connection, that's not why we watch TV shows. I can't tell you, there's a whole play about it by Christopher Durang. I can't tell you how many times I have had a dream where I show up for opening night of a play and it's just not the show I learned and we were the, not the show we <laughs> rehearsed. I'm just like, what the fuck is all this? Uh, okay, Terrifying. Here, here's 2,000 people, go out. It happens all the time. It's called the actor's nightmare. Every Everybody has their version of that, right? Where you show up and you're not prepared for something. 
So it is universal in that sense. And, and while and I that w- is the meaning of the show's title, right? That is the test dream. The dream is that you show up unprepared for a test. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think there's there's other things we could look into there too, but again, we'll get into it. Uh, the the idea, while I will defend all viewers of the show and say it's totally fine if this is not your cup of tea, if you would rather see the mob stuff, I also will stick my neck out to defend the show here and say two things. One, in no universe is it possible that the Sopranos writer's room said, ah, oh, fuck, uh, well, we have three episodes left, but we only have like kind of two and a half episodes of material <laughs> So let's just throw some shit on screen. There's no universe where that happened. Correct. And the second thing I'm going to say is that you cannot deny, whether you like this episode or not, that the execution of the dream as a dream is damn near flawless. People being exchanged, uh, uh, just the feeling of it being a dream is perfect. It, It functioned how dreams function. Someone's in front of you, and there are two people at once. You're in a place that's strange but also familiar. Yeah, there's you're aware also... it's a dream for little moments, and then you're not. Yeah, there's also some governance of another type of dream. A little bit of this dream is partly recurring nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, it mirrors some of the forms of the dreams that we have seen Tony have previously. Yes. Right, which is all part of dream world. We all dream this way. Where it's, it's a new dream, but, oh, there's something that resembles a dream I've had. Oh, I'm back in this place again. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Well said, guys. I think Coulter outdid himself on this one. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, let's dig. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And that's the longest introduction we'll ever have, because it's just worthy of it. Anyway, the test dream. We start out not in dream world, but we're right in the throes of, of quote-unquote passion here. Tony and Valentina having sex. This episode starts and ends in a bed with quote-unquote intimacy. Right off the bat, something's weird. I would almost say dreamlike. Why are we hearing the sex and not seeing anything? We're hovering above the bed like a ghost. It's, it's very bizarre. It's disorienting, and this episode is filled inside and outside the dream with disembodied voices and sounds, mm-hmm. something's happening right away. Yeah. You're not going to cook, are you? Tony there's, said. <laughs> yeah, there's a nightmare. <laughs> egg beaters and Tabasco, followed by Pepto and a case of toilet paper. <laughs> Here's the eggs again. You and Tony Egg again. That's Yeah, yeah. the eggs are all over this show, especially in scenes of death and, and violence. Egg salad, and, and especially in the season. Yeah. Carmine with this with the egg salad, having the stroke, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Junior with the egg talk, and it's all yeah. It, the eggs are a, too deliberate to be a thing, too deliberate to not be a thing, I should say. Tony is bored with Valentina. He she he finds her tedious. The spark has gone. It's not the excitement of stealing this new girl from Ralph. It's been going on a while. It's stale. Tony finds her. The dialogue tedious. You're not gonna. He doesn't. He doesn't like her cooking. He's trying to tell her in a way that is gives him plausible deniability. Did I tell you I hate this shout between rooms shit? He's just over it. He gives her so many dirty looks. He you when he says later on that he was gonna break up with her, you believe him. Oh yeah. She's talking about getting away, going to Antigua, and <laughs> what's a place called sneakers? <laughs> <laughs> Sandals. Sandals. 
you know, you're getting a divorce and I see you less than before. Is it so much to fucking ask that? Oh my God. And speaking of, this is one of those things. It's like, am I really seeing this? For and a she second? is on fire. <sighs> Just so much to ask for a little attention. And then she literally sets herself on fire. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I thought a pie oh my. Uh, yeah, that's true. These two, there's some adjacency. These two came together with Ralph and, and, and fire and fire. Good point. That's going to be all over this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Tony puts it out. Okay, it's out, it's out. She's very badly burned. It's yeah. very jarring imagery. It's, I uh, I say this as someone who has never been on fire, but like I, I thought she might have just helped herself out by just dropping to the ground and rolling around. She just kind of flails. But you know what? When you're on fucking fire, maybe you can't think of that. Yeah, I think... There has to be a part of you that's like, no, I'm not really on fire, right? If I just take off the... no, Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. No, I'm on I'm fire. I'm on fire, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it happens so fast. Uh, whew, crazy. It's. it's I, I don't know if this is plausible how fast that fire... I hope not. That's well, I'm, scary. I'm sure it this is. This is why, uh, folks, don't yeah. wear loose clothing near a stove, please. The the robe, uh, when we first see her after the, the post-coital thing, she's, like, smelling her hair, and her hair is down and mm. long and out, and... The burning hair thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony B and Angelo. These two, we get to see them, more of them interacting. They were good friends in the can. They've really driven it home that these two are close and really went through it together in, 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 in jail. Prison buddies. Angelo's got a son here, adult son. These writers are smart, man. Bringing the kid in means that Tony B has an excuse to talk up angelo he says you know your old man was like my old man and my rabbi all rolled into one so mm. when we see after angelo gets whacked we're already putting it to, like tony like our yeah. tony is we're already putting it together like oh shit yeah yep and this it reads true to me uh, that kind of oh he's some guy your dad that's yep. the kind of thing you say to your well-respected person's son you know your friend they go in the back i fucking love this line so much that i actually uh <laughs> I commented it on a YouTube video, and it got a lot of, related to The Sopranos, and it got a lot of likes. But when Angelo hands him the envelope and says, Rusty, I think sometimes he bangs his wife in installments. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way they're doing things over there. Tony B., what the fuck? I did a clean job. But it's Angelo, and it is what it is, and he's got his casino. He takes it, hands over this plaque. Because I'm the boss, that's why he spoke to me on account of your sense of humor and all. I'm going to put this in a position of prominence. <laughs> right up on the wall between the boiler and the old-ass refrigerator. <laughs> but, you know, this is uh, all things considered, considering how little time we've had with these two men. This is a nice little scene here. Just genuine friendship and little touch down here. Cut to Tony and Scrubs, which is jarring imagery. Okay. Funny imagery. He, there's something almost kind of cute about him in Scrubs, if that's weird <laughs> for a grown man to say about another grown man. Uh, but <laughs> she's out of it. She's out of her mind. Tony gives us a great exposition drop here. Second degree burns. Your hair will grow back. You'll look just like you did before. 
Tony, again, he did this last episode when he's emotionally withdrawing. He reaches into the wallet. I'll take care of everything. Yeah. Dr. Bill, the wig. And I hate to say it, from the look of her and how he's behaving, you know, like, he ain't never going to see this girl again. <laughs> right? This is just, he's going to run away. The envelope's going to, he's going to pay the doctor, then Silvio's going to show up, then some guy that works for Benny is going to pay right. the last bill, and that's it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think she's about to get some nice jewelry. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> hyperbolic chamber, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need skin grafts of the hyperbolic chamber. <laughs> David Chase and Matt Weiner. God, they're, they're, they're kings. Some pretty nuts dream. There's a episode of Mad Men that isn't quite a dream, but it's you can, you can tell Matt Weiner got some good experience with this one for an episode or two of Mad Men. Costco! Costco. I love Costco. I'm a proud Costco member. I, I too, like Costco. Yeah. Mike, there's never a time when it's not busy, but you know what? They still always have the shit I want. There's a certain comfort in buying in bulk. There is. Yeah, seriously. It, it, it triggers that hunter-gatherer thing. It's like, it does. All right. Very satisfying. If the apocalypse hit on Costco day, I'm good for another few weeks. I'm, 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 yeah. all, I'm all set here. <laughs> I actually need a new eyeglass prescription. I gotta go to Costco. Man, Sorry, you guys. <laughs> audience didn't need to hear that. <laughs> what else, Paul? <laughs> what else you gotta do? <laughs> Getting something put in the trunk. That's okay. I'm not going far. Guy can't close That's the true. trunk. And we oh, know yeah, he's buying. It's like a thing for the kids, right? It looks like it looked to me like a toy car. For yeah, like a toy car. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. We we learned in episode three, I think, where he Johnny... was being a grandfather. It's presumably for his grandkids. Yes. Yeah. Yep. He's getting beeped at by somebody I'm listening to Peanuts, Frankie Valley. Uh, think of this moment every time I hear that song. Beep beep. Gotta go around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> funny, funny stuff. We know that red car. At least that's what's fun about the fact that his car went through a major collision. Uh, <laughs> is we know this car when he pulls up in front of Angelo. And it's a clandestine location under a bridge. You can hear trains and cars kind of above them. He rear-ends Phil. Phil and Bill Leotardo get out of the car. They're told, Johnny wants to see you. I was trying to get your attention. Why don't you try using the phone? I'm an old man. I don't see too good in the dark. Poor Angelo, though. He was uh, he was not long for this world. They... Get him to agree. Smart Angelo using his street smarts. You don't get in the car with the guy. All right, I'll follow, but it wasn't good enough. Phil and Bill jump him, drag him into the trunk. Couldn't fucking retire. And that's it. So ends it. the saga of Angelo Garepe. Pretty rough. His last words, I think, are Philly, please, you know me. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, not in this life, pal. Yep. Yeah. Um, same to the, to the detail. Same death that Frank Vincent's character was dealt in Goodfellas. Yep. So again, reflecting the culture back to us. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, the revenge of Billy yep. Bats. <laughs> it's a mirror of Chris shooting somebody in the foot in the first season. Yeah. Somebody who's retrieving him something. And same thing here. Phil brutally murders somebody in the back of a trunk. It's great. It's good stuff. Good synergy. Look at this. You know the work I just had? Give me the keys. <laughs> Concerned about the... It is funny. The auto Sorry, yeah, yeah, Sorry Angelo. <laughs> Look at this shit. <laughs> this sequence here, again, all of this... For, there's something about the way it's written and shot and executed. We've never seen this 
new made before. Tony's trying to get today's paper. It's in the garbage. This is today's paper. I saw that as symbolic, too. Like, he can't even get a sense of, like, what's going on in the world. Like, the paper's already been destroyed. Like, he's just mm. kind of moving through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This <laughs> poor woman. Oh, no. <laughs> really funny. I mean, I bet the enchiladas are good. But Tony is clearly not getting what he needs yeah. from these various women. Uh, they're either cooking bad stuff for him or cooking at the wrong time. Mm. Can't keep the house. Can't take care of his emotional needs. Um, yep. This this episode when he comes out of the dream, there's a reason that he calls who he calls. Yes. Yeah. Goes right to Tony B with the enchiladas in hand. Here are some enchiladas. <laughs> Tony B's like, the, okay. Buscemi <laughs> <laughs> acted that great, didn't he? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really funny. <laughs> this is one of the strangest scenes in this episode. Talk in to an me. episode that contains the test dream. <laughs> This episode, yeah, weird, weird episode. It started with a woman being lit on fire. The scene at Tony B's is unlike any other scene with Tony B we've ever seen. Yeah. He walks into the house. Tony B's so incredibly distracted. It's a totally one-sided conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tony B's, like, calling off-screen for anybody else to get Tony a Coke. I'm upstairs. Why can't he go to the fridge to get it? Uh, The twins at one point showed up in the exact same outfit, which was just creepy. There's like toys all over the place. It's a weird fucking scene. He can't. It's claustrophobic. He's he he can't step anywhere without triggering a noise or a click or a toy or a, a clutter. He's very stressed. He's very cluttered. And then you got Tony who's complaining in this back this almost angelic backdrop of his window right behind him with all of these animal statuettes behind him. Hmm. Yeah. Which is which would be heaven for Tony. Just him and a bunch yeah. of animals. Both are distracted, right? I guess maybe looking at it from Tony Soprano's perspective, it maybe brings me back to moments in my life where maybe it would help to talk to somebody about X and the person that you're trying to talk to, you just very clearly do not have their attention. Yeah. And maybe that's what Jordan's talking about. That that unease is palpable mm. in this scene, maybe because of the way it's shot, the way it's written. And Tony, so in his thoughts, he barely picks up on it. We know later right. that he did kind of, oh yeah, you know, he was... Not himself. Right, yeah. Tony B would normally, like, at least hand us some wise comments or even Tony some advice. He'd normally be quite a good confidant for Tony, I would think, but not in this scene. Had Tony known about Angelo before going to visit Tony, he would have picked up on it right away. But Right. Why don't you get a new one? This is the new one. (laughs) (laughs) We also get some business about, um, Tony does talk about Valentina and the the burning hair smell. Yes. And then he does bring up, that's the last thing Carmine smelled before he died, uh, before he had his uh, stroke. So that business is brought up. Uh, we also get this is this conversation's all over the place. We also get a reference to Charmaine Bucco. Yeah. Right. This this dredges up a reference from season one. Right. The two, the two of them thing. Yeah. had a romantic fling in high school. I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. Was the last time that they uh, you know were together briefly once maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And is it? It's also. Is it Tony looking for something, that is romantic but more than sex? What he says is. Oh, Charmaine, oh, it's not like that. Well, it's sort of like that. Yeah. But this is the kind of woman I need. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think she's into it. No, it, the fact that Tony doesn't know that this woman fucking despises him. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, like you said, it's 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 scattered. It's all over the place. He's talking about one thing one minute, one thing the next. Seriously, what's with you? Uh, just uh, got the kids up my ass kind of thing. Yeah. Charmaine, Carmine, 
And what's cool too is the dreams, as random and as bizarre as they are, if you really look at the dreams long enough, like we're going to, they don't come out of nowhere. And and they don't come out of nowhere in life. Very often, the fact that he brings up Carmine and he brings up Charmaine and that they're all over, these are things he's talking about today, thinking about today, and then they show up in the dream. That, that rings true. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, it would almost work between me and her. He's going over to the plaza. Lucky him. Wish I could afford to just, oh, I'm just going to go live, yeah, in, just live in the, the plaza, plaza hotel. for a couple days. Yeah. Anyway, Tony B says, yells at the kids about all the toys, tells them he's going to take them back to their mothers early. We, as the audience, know that there's, we feel that something's coming. He's not just angry right. about Later we realize why he's rushing the kids along to get them back to yeah. their moms. Right? So he knows what he's going to go do. We just never saw a scene where he was told that Angela was killed. Right. Yeah. So, but also, now looking back on that scene, you're like, wow, this guy's keeping a real cool for what he's about to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like we've said, this that's one quality of this guy. He's just a stone-cold killer. He is a cold killer. Yep. Is it just me? Did anyone notice, as Tony pulls up to the plaza, they did this establishing shot outside and then this horse carriage. This is the first of many times we're going to hear horses clomping throughout this episode. And... The fucking uh, adds more to this weird energy. I swear the guy in the carriage looked right down at the camera, almost as if they got it gorilla style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. And and the this is this is before the dream yeah. starts, and it's a dreamlike shot. Yep, it's more dreamlike than dream shots. It's yeah. like what the hell is this angle? And then inside the hotel, the harp, yeah. mm-hmm. the wedding. It's like well, even the he has a brief encounter with the guy who's going to park his car. And he asks him long-term or short-term, which I guess is a normal question, but Tony does not give a normal answer. He says, can't you just park it? Mm. Almost like Tony doesn't know how long he's going to be staying, which has fed into some online theories about what the hotel could represent, but let's finish talking about the sequence first. Yeah. Goes in. Yes, there's a wedding here. Wedding. Yeah, Yeah, the plaza, of course, is gorgeous and seeing... This guy who's usually in much dingier settings walk through it is kind. Of, there's a disembodied feel to it, almost a little fish out of water. We've had that uh, right kind of imagery throughout the entirety of the season. And Tony is not here as himself. He's here under an assumed name. Yeah, which sounds Mr. a bit like the Fabian Petrullio name. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, he's here as Mister Petraglia. Petraglia, and then yeah, he's paying cash. And the reason why we hear this name is because he has to put in a credit card mm-hmm. to cover, like, incidentals. Melfi walks in. Randomly, Very bizarre. With a friend. Yep. Just visiting the plaza. Maybe saw a movie at that theater that's right over there that I like, that theater. Oh, yeah. The Ziegfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah, like a day in the city. Yeah, pamper, shopping. Go, There's go a lot of great shit to do in that part of town if you have money. Uh, there was, <laughs> I don't know if it's still there, there was a bar called the Okram at the plaza. Great bar. Mm-hmm. Um... And this, again, this isn't, this is not the dream sequence yet, but dream-like. I can't tell you guys, and maybe you guys and people in the audience will have had this experience, so many dreams where I am at, I'm at a place from some part of my life, maybe like at my high school, and there are other persons or a person there who's not supposed to be there. That I know them, but not from that part of my life. Mm. And I never knew them there. Mm. And I don't even necessarily know that I'm dreaming, but I'm like... I know they're not supposed to be here. Mm. And Tony's looking, he's like, he sees this woman in an office in North Jersey, and she's at the plaza, and he's like, uh. Yeah. It's that energy. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. 
Goes into his suite, Lux suite, park view, holy shit. He gets up there, more horse clomping through the window. You can know you can hear it from down on the street, the horse clomping that's gonna come back again and again. The uh, bellman's name is Jesus. Jesus. Interesting. Just gonna put that <laughs> out there. I don't know if there's any significance. He says if you need anything, press nine. I, I wrote that down wondering if it would come back again. It didn't, but uh, I'm sure someone out there somewhere has a theory. Puts pics of his kids up. This is funny in a hotel room. Like, he's really... <laughs> and, oh, man, I felt that shower. They did a great job shooting. He's loving that shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have had that shower where it's just like, I needed this goddamn shower. <laughs> he strikes me as more of a bath guy, but that's a great shower. Mm. And then he luxuriates in the nice robe. Yeah, beautiful robe. But it, the sequence also underlines, I think, some boredom and loneliness, right? Um, of course. Of course. The long shot of him eating the dinner. Yeah, you know? just like, mm, just mutter, like kind of making noises to himself. Yeah, this is good. And they, yeah, they keep pulling back. They do it in the bed too, bedroom too. They get like a closer shot and then they kind of pull back and they do it when he's eating. Loneliness surrounded by this decadence. It's like no material comfort on earth is going to yeah. make this guy feel better. We see in him in this hotel room, which is a beautiful hotel room. My God, I would love to stay there. Never in a million years. He tries to satisfy all his desires one way or another, mm -hmm. right? To feel uh, clean in his body, right? He wants a good meal. Um, uh, pictures of my family up, feel more at home. I want a woman. I want Carmela, really. Who could I call who's an expert? I'm going to call Charmaine Bucco. <laughs> right? Who, from her reaction on the phone, hello, 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 I want you to stop this, whoever you are. He's been doing this for a while. He's been harassing her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's made a few of these calls. This is something that's been going on. She looks at the phone, at, well, that lingering look after, like, should I, almost like, should I call the cops at this point? Like, <laughs> she's really like, what the fuck? No way of knowing it's Tony pre, you know, this is maybe like right on the verge of caller ID. Ah, that's crazy to think about now. Yeah. Tony has dinner. It's lonely. It's long. Then he watching this commercial about these uh, escorts from the mysterious East. <laughs> Calls up, gets himself an Asian escort. Goes out, steals the paper, by the way. That, that also felt dreamlike to me, because I was like, would there really... Clearly, I've never stayed at the Plaza, folks, by the way. Would there really be, like, a CD escort commercial on the Plaza Hotel television? Evidently, yes, is the answer, by the way. But that felt so out of place for me, too. I was mm -hmm. like, certainly hotels in Vegas, mm -hmm. right? Probably hotels in Atlantic City, Reno, handful of other places. It seems so strange to me that, you know, here the, the wealthy and the first class, you know, of the world play, you get like a seedy kind of Asian escort commercial, and then he orders up a woman. I don't know. It felt a little off to me. I'm yeah. sure it's real. It just felt off. Yeah. It it does have a bit of a weird energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, this uh, this is not something I've ever experienced, so I can't say for sure that that uh, happens. But it makes sense to me if there's people with like Tony and staying yeah. in a place. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yes, I'm men, sure men, it's real. men of means want. Yes. Their, want their pleasures, I guess. And he finally got today's paper. <laughs> <laughs> By stealing it from his next door floor mate. Hilarious. <laughs> Gets a message. Comes back to a blinking message on his phone. Silvio, Angelo got it last night. Probably Phil. 
Hang on. Again, not the dream yet, but weird dream. Disembodied. Disembodied. It's not even voice to voice. Yeah. It's a it's a voicemail. Yeah. From Silvio. Mm-hmm. What? Right, and then anybody he tries to call from then on, it's like you can't reach them. It's like I'm farther than far. Yeah. I'm calls, somewhere else. Calls Tony. He's driving very angrily on his way to go shoot the Leotardos. Right. Yeah. Or maybe on his way back. We don't know if it just happened or if he was on his way to go do it, but he does not take Tony's call. Tony calls the casino. Tony hasn't been there all night. You see him. You have him call me immediately. Calls Aunt Quinn. Maron, I was hoping he was with you. Nope. Okay. Where's Tony B? Uh-oh. This is bad. Call gets interrupted. Who's he on the phone with here? Paulie? Uh, no, who's he on the phone with? Uh, yes. Paulie, yeah, he, yeah, he's taking a call. He's... On a call with Paulie when the escort shows up. You got company. Got a bad feeling about this. Go drops a drops a Star Wars go-to there. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows this is not going well. Definite uh, Tony looking at this escort's rear end as she bends over, gets herself a drink. And we're in bed. Polly seems to I think Polly says, Oh, he's not that stupid. And Tony says, yeah, and so the subconscious question is what it's going to be harder to quell. Right. Like, Tony's going to get that this is going to be a problem, going to be ongoing. i got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, here we are. Uh, here I, we I, go. This is the beginning of the of the madness here, and it's, uh, it's so weird because I wrote in big letters where the dream starts and where the dream ends, and I keep my page of notes here, and it's, it's, it's the majority of the episode. It's really wild looking at it this way. Yeah, it's like a, I think it's like a 60-40, it feels yeah. like. I'm not sure the exact time count, but it's it's mostly the dream. Yeah. And it's uh, not a long episode in the altogether. Right. It's about, this is a 48-minute episode. Didn't feel short. Yeah. Feel, felt pretty packed to the gills, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. You want to suck your dick, baby? Chris, jeez. What? I was oh. just asking some... All right, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot we was recording. Anyway... God, wait till the microphone's off. All right, I'm sorry. Lily's out of town. All right. All right. <laughs> say it again. Go ahead. No, no. That Well, you know, I don't need to say it. I'm not going to say it again. Uh, you're not going to get me. <laughs> but uh, she makes an offer of, we hear this voice, and we assume is the escort. Tony turns over. What do we see there, Paul? <laughs> I'm still not over it. <laughs> Carmine Lupertazzi looking kind of dead. <laughs> And just staring up at the ceiling, and again, it's weird, but it is funny, Gandolfini's response to, like, what the fuck? And he rolls out of the bed. Um, Even Dream Tony knows how weird this is. Yeah. Uh, imagine being the actor who plays Carmine, and you get a call, hey, we're bringing you back for a scene, and this is what you get handed. This is just so funny. The fuck? He, he jumps out of bed. This is the first uh, ghost of many to yes. come. I'm lonely on the other side. It's not right. I miss my violet. What violin? What violin? <laughs> His wife. So, ah, yeah. All right. So we are firmly established at this point that we're in dreamland. I mean, just no question about it. And we're miss. Were you hearing misheard, misused words? That's gonna keep keep popping up. I'm all alone on the other side. It ain't right. The phone rings. Answer the fucking thing. That's back uh, 
fortunate son right season three said to johnny said to johnny yeah so tony's this is an interesting thing they do throughout this dream sequence and i want to point out is that tony and i think this is might be true for a lot of people is it's very hard to imagine or conjure new things it's a very there's a reason that not everybody is a creative writer is that you 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 are only able in your it seems like tony in his dream is able to cobble together new things from past experiences we'll get to vin mckazian later in the episode but yeah the fact that he didn't conjure new people he used people he already knew faces he had already seen in his life same thing here carmine is saying things that are evocative of the other things he said it's not that much of a answer the fucking thing direct quote from carmine that he heard years ago and his brain kept it fascinating lots of little things like that he answers the phone very nervous hello he's panting he's sweating if it's the man upstairs tell him i'm not here if it's him tell him i'm not here who's him who is he the man upstairs and he answers hello is this confirmed? Is this David Chase's voice? It is. It has to be. It is. Yeah. And right. I don't think it's credited. I know his voice. IMDb yeah. trivia did say it was yeah. David Chase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's this, not credited, that's but very, that's David Chase's yeah. voice. That's very meta. He, there's mean, a lot of meta shit in this dream. Yeah. So there, again, there, the blurring of the real and not real. This is the boss. Who else, I guess aside from Tony's dad, would <laughs> be able to talk to him this way? Well, except the guy who created him. Right. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. If the man upstairs is God, is David Chase not the God of the Sopranos? I he mean, is. that seems to work for us. Uh, this also begins, or I should say continues, <coughs> this uh, potentially very valid interpretation, and nothing confirmed, by the way, so many things could be valid, that perhaps the plaza is an in-between place, uh, a soft place, where we have some access to this fine line between dream and reality, between the living and the dead, between heaven and hell, and that the man upstairs could just as easily be God as it could be David Chase as it could be the devil. Uh, we don't know. Uh, you know, there are some things that are peppered in there that could make that case, right? Uh, we have Jesus, right, who has welcomed us in, and now we are here, and let's see where else we go. Mm. And very interesting interpretation, and points to something in the next scene that I don't think I locked into the last times I watched this. When at first you think maybe it's just a therapy scene then it turns out, of course, the dream's being extended. And he's talking about this as if this was the only part of the dream. And what he says, what Tony says of Carmine is he must have been talking from heaven because he said the other side. I was like, that's a bit of supposition on your part. There's yeah. another place you can go. <laughs> yeah, right. Tony takes the Tony does a leap in logic. Yeah, yeah. And says it must be heaven. It must be heaven. Right. Um, These guys in general have a hard time accepting hell because if hell's real, they're all going. They're all going. <laughs> <laughs> Although he justified why they don't go to hell to Melfi a few seasons back. But interesting, we don't see Melfi at first. We just hear her voice. And it is definitely her voice off camera. Yes. The first part. Yeah. And then when we finally see her, it's Gloria. Gloria! Our second, <laughs> our second ghost of the episode. Yep. By the way, uh, David Chase's voice, something I did want to mention because it's it's going to be a continuing thread through the dream, says our friend, he's got to go. It's the first time we hear that somebody needs to be killed. Our friend, he's got to go. Don't fuck it up. It's important. So Tony's like, okay, the, he's been given a mission. That's going to drive a lot of the action. Even 
in this bizarre circumstance. Yes, and just to bring the end forward, we come to believe that the person's got to go is Tony B. Mm-hmm. It's just a dream. He acknowledges it was just a dream. Now, at this point, even though we're not seeing Melfi, because the Sopranos has done this before, they've done both the thing where Tony has a dream and then we cut to the next scene where he's in Melfi's office talking about it. For yeah. real. Mm-hmm. They've also faked us out before. Funhouse has a couple of those. He's having a dream, then he's in Melfi's office talking about it, and then it's revealed, oh, this is still the dream. So you're wondering, as a seasoned Sopranos viewer, which one it is, we're still in it. It's Gloria. Yeah. The concept of the dream within the dream is used in The Sopranos quite a bit to great effect. It's also something we all experience as dreamers. We've all had a dream where we thought we woke up and we were actually uh, fooled, right? So the test dream really takes that to an extreme because we're constantly adding a new frame to wherever we are. Right. Even the first part of the dream at first feels like he has woken up in the plaza when it's actually still dead of night. Yeah. We were perpetually wondering, have we actually returned to the real world? Which this episode has already established is very strange. Yeah. Sometimes it happens in here. It's like childbirth. You know more about it than I do. I never had kids. I died too young. They get into the honeymooners bit here. Which is a little dark considering that there was, was actually violence between these two. But it also keeps bringing back Tony B. That's it. Tony B's got the mean Gleason. Right. Right. But then, of course, also, yeah, Gloria and Tony's relationship, the Honeymooners themselves, but also, let's just bring up the meta-commentary, the Honeymooners as big cultural moment, right? Mm -hmm. Big television show, the first big successful sitcom, or one of the first big successful sitcoms, and the fact that Tony and Ralph Cramden have a little bit of overlap amongst them, right? Okay? Tony has a Jackie Gleason-ish quality to him. Big, loud, burly guys with... Petite, classic housewife kind yeah. of, the kind mm-hmm. of energy. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You were going to stick a fork in my eye. No, that was your mother. In <laughs> Melfi's voice, and then they do the spit take. Yep. The Melfi, fact that, yeah, the fact that they keep yeah. layering in Melfi's voice over that, it, it, picking their spots there, just so good. This is a, another interpretation for the uh, Tony. Well, hold on. I'll get to that in a second. Tony goes up to kiss her. She stops him. Are you ready for what you have to do? Don't sweat it. I did my homework. Homework. It's a word associated with school. We're going to come get into school later. It's also an expression that comes up multiple times this episode. But this feeling that Tony needs to be ready, he needs to be prepared for something, is being repeated. And then she points, looks at the TV. This is not the. This is another recurring thing that's going to keep happening. Tony looking at a television, seeing something, seeing himself, seeing his family, seeing an alternate reality. Uh, just and then she vanishes out of the room, and he's just watching a TV of inside his dad's car. Interesting callback here that the dream is kind of getting going around this here. I also the, the test dream being the dream about the test that we all have that you're not prepared for. I also it conjures imagery of test drive, which was how he first, which is how he first met Gloria, yep. mm. and then of course the driving in the car, which is another thing Tony keeps coming back to. This driving in his dad's car, back seat. Tony doesn't ride up front. They make a comment about that. Kid gets sick. All the other people that appear in the car are dead except Artie. Except Artie. And so doesn't that point again, as Jordan was saying subconsciously, I got to do something about Tony B. It points, like I think later in another portion of the dream, he says to Artie, what are you doing to yourself? Like is there something Mm. where he's worried about Artie, uh, Mm. even in some instinctual place? Um, Mm. 
just a lot. All of this happening very fast. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. They slip it in. They they. What a cast of characters we get in this car, by Correct. the way. Correct. So we get uh, the driver. Of course, is Johnny, mm-hmm. Tony's father, whose face we never see in full. Right. And who's coughing a lot because this seems to be late life Johnny Soprano, yeah. who has really been racked with emphysema. Which he would be reminded of because he recently interacted with Fran. Right. This is not the Johnny we've seen in Tony's flashbacks before. This is right. late. Right. Yeah, this exactly. is not down neck Johnny. This is much later. Yep. And I love that they went through the truck. They clearly, at least for the voiceovers, maybe they did some trickery with the eyes, but it's very clearly the same actor that they got for this. But it they is. make the choice not to show his face. Yeah. So crazy. We have sitting next to him, is it Ralph first? Pussy first. Pussy first and then Ralph. Mm-hmm. Two guys that Tony personally had to eliminate because they were threats to him. We're taking you to the job. Perhaps foreshadowing what he'll have to do to Tony B. Mm-hmm. We get uh, next, well, oh boy, we get a whole bunch of people here. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm probably Mikey, rushing Mikey you. Paul Misi. Paul Misi, who we haven't seen since season one. And Paul, you noticed with. Oh, right. Uh, well, I was just going to think of Tony's line. E- even in death, Mikey Palmisi still gets shit on. You know, douchebag. This is one oh, of those situations where I know I'm dreaming. Yeah. But again, I was talking to the guys earlier about this. Years and years, I've watched this episode here and there. So much fun. So many details. And maybe last year, probably I was texting Chris about it late at night. Yeah. And I watched this episode, and I see this scene with Palmisi, and there's the joke. It's all... And I noticed there's these little blood spots. Little ticks looks like on his shirt and i'm like is that when he got shot but when he got shot he was wearing a track suit he was wearing that suit earlier in season one the only season he's in when tony got mad after the killing of brendan falone and took a staple gun from the hospital and stapled palmisi's chest so matthew weiner and david chase fuck you (laughs) for being so awesome and so detailed (laughs) in your writing um thank you good night yeah, that's when you pointed that out to me, I flipped a shit. I couldn't believe that because I was like, no. How I mean, I... yeah. And then you notice it. So it makes you wonder what else is in here. That's what I mean when I said we don't have answers, folks. We can keep looking at this till the cows come home. We could spend in a podcast episode on. This could go on for hours. We're not going to let it, but geez, but, that, but that's what we're talking about. Is there's so many little details like that that they thought of to put in the, the fucking staple gun? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Who else we got in the car? We got uh, Artie, who's not dead. Artie, who's the only one not dead in the car besides Tony. Richie April, we see at one point. Well, later that's on. later. Oh, on. that's later. There's another. Same idea. These are dead people. Right. Yeah. Right. There's another car yeah. of dead guys coming up. Yep. Right. <laughs> Richie and Gigi, they don't even have lines. Richie belches off camera, and then Tony turns... Or maybe it's Gigi indigestion, who knows, but... Nothing moves. (laughs) Like spackle on my bowels. (laughs) (laughs) And they're driving him to the job. Driving him to the job. Home. It's home, yep. Right up his driveway. He walks in, he's in his tracksuit, his hair's disheveled. You're not dressed. We're going to meet Finn's parents. Carm is looking great. Watching TV... This is the first uh, movie we have on, right? Which, uh, anyone know what these, these flicks are? So, I believe the first one we see on TV is High Noon. High Noon. Oh, no, sorry. Chinatown is the first film that we right. see. Yes, High Noon comes in. There's High Noon, right? there's Chinatown, and there's Christmas Carol. Yeah, Christmas specifically Carol, Scrooge is the one I think we're seeing, right? Right. Christmas Carol imagery is obvious. 
high noon imagery is obvious. I have to admit, I adore Chinatown. Is like a top ten movie for me. I have to admit, I'm not sure. Fucking his wife in installments is the joke in Chinatown that uh, Jake Giddies attempts to tell them That's in the right. first crime scene. That's yeah. right. You're yeah. right. What the fuck? That's yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's the only reason why that one's included, but, you know, that's a thing, too. I mean, a theme in Chinatown is broadly corruption. Well, and this is a bit of a reach, guys, so forgive me. The sequel to Time Chinatown, which is not that popular, is called The Two Jakes. Mm -hmm. That's the name of that film. Mm. So, and that's wow. uh, Keitel and Nicholson. The test stream is better than The Two Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a stretch. Me neither. We're running late. This energy is very, I feel, <laughs> I like what they did here where this like, they keep staring off at the TV and Carmela every once in a while is like, Tony, what? Give me a minute. <laughs> I've been in that position. It's funny. Uh, he's staring at the TV. It's just so much more interesting than what? Life. Are you kidding? This is your life. Yeah, literally it is yeah. your life. You are a television character. It's really Interesting. This is this is an interesting thread in this dream that Tony is on some level aware that he's a television character. Isn't that weird? Isn't that just as fucking bizarre to put in here as the fact that there are actual ghosts when people are awake yeah. in the show? Yeah. And I mean, hey, again, not judging anybody, but people who are at the nail salon, maybe that's not what they expected, and it's it's weird to it, experience. From a show, even a, even a gangster show that's very experimental, this is this is out there. And but like you guys said, it's not a it's not an accident. I think they're conscious of it and they're consciously pushing. Mm. They wanted to try this. Yeah, Christmas Carol. Then he's in the TV. It's so much more interesting than life. Even in his dreams, Tony is not satisfied with the reality he finds himself. He's picturing a different reality where he's with Carmela and they're going to meet Finn's parents. Then, this this thing. Have either of you had this? I know this is a very common thing people talk about if you look at any kind of online dream interpretation discussion. The tooth. This is something that happens a lot. Yeah, I've, I've, had, had, I've had, had the teeth falling out from sure. the dream. Yeah. Have you? Yes, same and similar theme about a impotence or lack of preparedness. Yeah. Loss of control, they say. Uh, anxiety sufferers frequent this dream quite a bit. Mm. It's jarring to see. It is. It's also, um, uh, at least for me, but I've seen common experiences as reported, there's an, uh, an experience in the dream of feeling ashamed of your appearance because your teeth have fallen out and you're trying to hide that fact in some way, which Tony is doing a bit. He's apologizing for it. He's trying to hide them. He's saying, oh, look at this. Oh, I'm sorry. You right. know. Mm. On the pristine white plate, the bit of blood. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Plus they're meeting the kid's parents and the kid's at dental school. <laughs> right. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they go to Vesuvio. Charmaine, Tony B, commented on her her bosom. She's wearing a... They are prominently displayed. They are prominently... And the way... Look, it's not, just the, it's not just what we're looking at, folks. They frame the shot this way. Her boobs are... Her cleavage is just... Just above where the fucking bottom of the frame sits. Yeah. <laughs> it's deliberate, and she's dressed that way. And she practically shoves him in Tony's face when she's turning that pepper thing. And, yeah, you know what's funny is, like, this is, <laughs> this is like, overt sexualization of Charmaine, and that's what Tony would be dreaming about here. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that uh, dress is pretty loud for Charmaine Bucco. Right, yeah. It's but not, not in Tony's dream world. Yeah, no, he loves it. <laughs> 
And we meet the, the Trollios, who are <laughs> Vin McKazian and actress Annette Benning. Yes, yes, I love this touch. It's weird, it's funny. It's the idea that this is just a conjuration. And what's amazing is they're both. They are simultaneously the the, the Trollios, the, the family, the parents of Finn, and also Vin McKazian and Annette Benning. Yeah, so they are this because of what you said earlier. The brain cannot conjure new people. He's never met the Detrolios, so yeah. his brain is going to populate those roles with whoever Tony would like to populate them with. And mm. for whatever reason, I don't know why, he populated one with Vin McKazian, uh, a character I dearly miss from the first season. He was great. And he was John really... Heard playing Vin McKazian in this context brings us closer to the classic iconic image of John Heard. American Dad. Yeah. Yes, than Vin McKazian did. Right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he's quite sweet <laughs> in these scenes, Very actually. Sweet. And then Annette Benning, who's doing Mrs. Detrolio, but just purely as Annette Benning, mm -hmm. which is very funny. <laughs> yeah. And they do a great job here of letting people know that, like, because they do this in some other TV dramas, and this is still early in the TV drama boom. You watch episodes of Law and Order, after 10 seasons, you start seeing the same actors again and again. This wasn't them recasting John Hurd as Mr. Detrolio, and then we were just supposed to forget that he was also Vin McKazian. This is also Vin McKazian. They talk about him being dead, especially when they get into the bathroom part, it becomes apparent that that's who this is. That's right, you don't do this no more. When that line is stunning. How good is that line? It lets you know right away, oh yeah, you're dead. You don't do this no more, do you? The way Tony talks to the dead people, like acknowledging, oh yeah, you've passed on. How, that must be interesting kind of thing. Fascinating. The homework line again in this scene, in the in the bathroom. Mm. I haven't gotten past dinner yet where we nope. get a beautiful rendition of <laughs> Three Times a Lady. Well, <laughs> well, he used to sing in the Navy Glee Club, Chris. Yeah, well, of course. So naturally, he needs to give a full performance of that song. It's, it's fucking whoever thought hey, of uh, this was... You're Annette Benning. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that he has to keep. What's so funny too is not only are the people swapping. By the way, Finn just flat out turns into AJ when they're talking about how he's not. Gonna, yeah. how he's not going to mount to anything. I also think that that's going to be a fear for Tony. Very sad. Not only for AJ, I think it's. I think it's a fear for both. And I think the reason AJ gets swapped in there. By the way, Agent look. AJ, AJ looks so sullen and sad in that swap out. Yeah, that's a fun episode to shoot for Robin Eiler. <laughs> you have no lines, and you're going to look somber at Vesuvius. <laughs> <laughs> I think I paid. Uh, I also. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it also speaks to the. I think there's a part of Tony that doesn't think. Meadow and Finn are gonna amount to anything there. I think uh, he, he, I think there's a part of him that thinks Meadow and Finn aren't gonna end up together, and something's not right there. Otherwise, why swap him in for AJ? It doesn't matter. But I love that uh, people. The perspectives are different in the scene. Like so, if they were shooting a natural dinner scene at Vesuvio, they would make it clear who was sitting where at the table, or they wouldn't expel it out explicitly, but anytime they do have dinner scenes, you know where everyone is at the table, and that's not clear here. The perspective keeps shifting, and they're too smart for that to just be accidental. Tony's looking left to see Carmela, then right. Yeah. People are moving around. He has to duck behind Carmela to see Annette Benning. That I love that shot where he has to leave behind. You're Annette Benning, <laughs> and she's like all smiles and delight, and then just gives that one what? Like she's annoyed. It's just an inspired choice here, possibly chosen because she played opposite Warren Beatty, her real life husband in Bugsy. I Bugsy, guess right? right, which she does reference in this. Scene. Reference, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that would be 
the connect to this culture. That's what they would all know her from. Right? Yep. Yep. Just as just as easy as the I don't want my husband coming out of that bathroom with the dick in his hands. We all know where that's yeah, from. Sure. Yep. He does a stirring rendition of three times a lady. And by the <laughs> way, they don't trim this down or whip through he does two full fucking verses in a chorus. <laughs> Carmela really seems to like it. Oh, she's delighted. Carmela's delighted. It's great. Tony has sex with two women in this episode and a third in a dream, but calls one woman at the end. Mm. Carmela's three mm. times the lady. Mm. Very good. Very nice, Paul. Tony looks at the kitchen. Artie. Artie's all over this fucking dream. It's it's very bizarre. Oh, that's an eerie one, isn't it? When he, you, he's, his face is by that uh, glass. It's almost like a foggy glass. And Artie's just pointing, like, this way. Like, it's simultaneously ominous and a warning, but also, like, Tony realized... He said the next thing is... Wait, where are we? Are we in the bathroom? No, we're not in the bathroom. Something bad is going to happen. Artie is... Oh, this the, is the, the that shot of We're talking about that creepy shot of Artie's face in the kitchen window. Oh, yes, yes, pointing. yes. Right, just right. Very brief, but Artie's all over the fucking place here. Then he goes into the bathroom. Well, Artie's kind of helping in this dream. All over. But only in weird ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is helping. Yeah. He's... It's almost like... He's an old friend. It's almost like he's keeping Tony grounded in a way. If yeah. that makes sense. Like he's... Or he's like a Virgil-type figure, right? He's like, I'm kind of guiding you through it. I'm the only other living person here. All living people will ex- will evacuate the dream at the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh... Tony goes to the bathroom. I don't want my husband... The Godfather line, obviously. Very... Sonny Corleone says that about Michael. We're all over the Godfather here. They got the old toilets. Tony reaches behind for the gun. It's not, it's not there. Nope. Unprepared. Uh-oh. I didn't do my... Maybe he didn't do his homework. And again, yeah, they go back to the, the peeing. Oh, that's right. You don't do this. I feel... Oh, this is nice. Like, he, like, Vin is happy to be peeing again. It's a pleasurable experience. Like, he hasn't been able to do it since Tony dreamed him back into existence. So fucking awesome. Like you said, this is a, a bomb moment. I love that when he says, you don't do this no more. Great line. Did you come through on the thing? Another line I think he said on, on something. Uh, don't worry, I don't sweat it, I've done my homework. Pulls out the book, the Velocci Papers. Right, which I had to look up, but I guess you two probably knew already, right? No, I had to look it up as well. Uh, yeah. Same. <laughs> but apparently one yeah. of the first... I haven't read it. But. ...big stories of a turncoat. Yeah. Yeah, this is the... Uh, Velocci, I, I believe is how the man's name is pronounced, is the first at least widespreadly known, you know, first American gangster to turn state's evidence. Mm. Well, there you go. Interesting. So maybe something that just is always in Tony's anxiety. Yeah. Constantly. Oh, yeah. This is real life. No, it isn't. Bang! This is it. And this is something that is recurring on this show. Tony's dream intuition. This next sequence. He goes outside and is essentially... He feels it. He knows that Tony B is going to do something. And he not only knows that Tony B is going to do something, his subconscious brain picks the right family. Maybe not the right guy. He shot Billy not in winged Philly. But we see Tony B essentially murdering Philly Otardo. It's dipping in and out of... you got the real, very real blood begging, the glass, the chaos. But then he's also got the, the finger... Pew, pew. Uh, there's something childish about it. How long do I have to wait here before I can get up? Which sounds like something filmic, right? That sounds like a film set thing, right? 
Mm. It's like if you're shot on a film set, like, how long do I have to lie here before the, the take is done? Right, like mm. maybe before the take they tell you count to 100. Right. Mm. right. Not Frank Vincent's first time being shot dead in a film this way, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is the energy in this dream has been hyper-emotional. Tony is terrified to answer the phone. He's laughing his ass off with Gloria. He's horrified and sickly in the car. And then everything kind of goes dead here for a minute. Like, everybody's just kind of talking with blank face. I don't know. I guess not. Kind of thing. Tony B is giving no expression whatsoever. The mob is closing in around him. And, this is an insane detail, there are people in the crowd... It's like the same thing. Tony can't invent the new right. face. Neil, Neil Mink is in the crowd. Right. He's one of them. Melvoin. Melvoin's in the crowd. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Or no, was it Melvoin and not Neil Mink? Mel- I forget. Melvoin. Yeah. One of the two. One of the two or attorneys. Uh, a couple Paul- of unidentified black males ask him a question. Right. Yep. Those two guys. Those two guys, yep. Paulie's in the fucking crowd. Is this where we see Oswald in the window? Yep. Yeah. Take that, a shot at Tony. That fucking blew my mind. Carmella's at the head of the mob for a second. Mm. Um... And there's a brief shot with people with dogs and lederhosen. Yeah. Chasing after him. Yeah. Now, in the same episode where Charmaine told Carmella that she had had an affair with Tony, denial, anger, acceptance, Tony is What does Tony get called? Frankenstein. There you go. Now, yeah. Frankenstein, not the book, but in the movie, people with lederhosen, they chase him, they chase the creature down and burn, they burn him to death. Right. Ooh. Yep, yep. That's right. Obviously, I, I connected the Frankenstein thing with the burning the death. Right. Titleman called him a golem, right? Yeah. There's that business here. We get a little Quasimodo in here, too. Mm. Right. A lot of that. Um, yeah, and the movie's the reference point. Tony did not read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Well, and it, it also ties into all of the movie. Tony does watch a lot of movies. It is your life. It is your life. Absconds into it. There's something bugsy about him. We have <laughs> great line. We're we're in the dark alley. Artie saves him again. Artie to the rescue. Artie's guiding him. Artie's the Virgil. I like that imagery, Jordan. Of Artie as the guy. Yeah. Well, if this is the world of the dead or the land of the dead, he's, he's Virgil. Yeah. So, Got to get you through. Come on, hope this way through the. You know, he's about to this creepy car with the hip hop. It's almost there's something almost hearse like about the car. And Tony is just stopped in his tracks and already well, pulled Well, speaking him. of Hearst, like, that's what I thought of that horse-drawn wagon in front of the Plaza Hotel from before the dream sequence. I yeah. thought of that, too. So much in, in here. Yeah. Absolutely. Artie with the save. There's another, Then we're in another car with calm, smooth jazz. This time Artie's driving the car. Tony's in the passenger seat. No lines. Richie April and Gigi. <laughs> Back seat. Someone belches. Tony just looks. They're just kind of stoically looking out the window. It it's such a this again. It's not the intent is not to troll, but this is where they really give you a, a cock tease here by introducing all of these characters that you love, and you're like, oh my god, they brought them back, and you're not gonna get a juicy scene. You're not gonna get. <laughs> right. You're not gonna get Richie April's Manson lamps or some or some fun GG dialogue. Nope, we're just gonna see him for a second with some gastrointestinal issues. Already kind of tired driving the car. Then the horse clomping comes back. This is a pretty wild scene. This must have been fun to shoot. Tony is uh, fucking Charmaine, and Artie is helping <laughs> Tony out, giving him tips. She likes when you rub her muzzle. Uh, well, <laughs> and get, more of the horse business there. And... Yep. And the horse clomp. What's so funny? Have you ever had a dream? Where, or, or had this situation, I've had this happen, and I thought of, this is why I kept mentioning the horse clomping. Not only is there a whole horse thing with Ralphie and Gloria and, uh, I mean, uh, Ralphie and Valentina and Pyomai and all of that, 
and and the horse-drawn carriages outside the plaza. Oh, and Tracy. And Tracy, yes, yep. It's all there. It's all it's all in there. But have you ever had a situation where your alarm goes off and you're dreaming, and the alarm is going off in the dream? Absolutely. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. There's nothing to say Tony's not hearing the horse clomping outside the window of the plaza. Very likely. Good point. And that's creeping into the dream at the same time all this shit is happening. Mm, yeah. And your mind makes that work in the dream. So it's comedic, but it's also, again, it's 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 abstract, but it's grounded in, in the reality of the show. That's what's so good about this. So he's banging Charmaine. We hear the clippity-clomp, clippity-clomp. She likes when you rub her muzzle, the horse dialogue. And great transition. By the way, another swapping perspective. We get the same scene of him fucking Charmaine with Artie right there helping, and <laughs> it's just swap sides. Did, did you catch that? It's just like one minute we're looking at it and their heads are at this side of the bed and Artie's over here, and then whoop, it just swaps. It's very funny and weird. And then more horse clomping, pie oh my, in the house. This, another fun day on set. This must have been. Bringing that uh, beautiful horse into the Soprano house. <laughs> Tony's riding it. I'm going to just say this once and let it sit. We can go on more. But Tony really gives off like general vibes here, doesn't he? With riding the horse. And on top there, he's got his gun at his hip. He looks like, a, like an old general. Hey, almost. my rifle, my pony, and me. Yep. That's right. Who could ask for anything more? And he's having this great conversation with Carmilla. And his subconscious is wrestling with how he's going to get back with her because that's really what he wants. He wants to get back. Just as Jordan mentioned, this dream points to, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. I got to get rid of my cousin, I think. And does it also say to him, it's time. Mm. I got to deal with the non-negotiable ground rules and I got to go home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what's fascinating because it's using Carmela's mouth. We have non-negotiable ground rules. You can't have your horse in here. The smell, the shit everywhere. Mm. Right? I'll clean up after her. I'll clean up after her. <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> Empty promises. He has to prove it. But here's what's fascinating. You have to remember this. And I, the reason I introduced our pull quote at the top of the episode as Tony's subconscious via Coach Molinaro's voice in the dream is Tony knows the ground rules. Carmelo doesn't have to set the non-negotiable ground rules. This is Tony's subconscious saying... If this is what you want, here's what you're going to have to do. Mm. He knows it. He knows what the terms are going to have to be. But great wordplay, horse, whores, the way she pronounces that just perfectly. It's just enough like both and not enough of either. It's great. He says he has to go. You didn't take care of that? Urgency. He still... Don't sweat it. Shows the gun. He's prepared this time. And then we are in the climax of the dream. Yeah, and the, this is the most realized sequence. Right. This most, is like the most solid of the dream stuff. Most moment-to-moment -moment logic right. in it. Yeah. Just the two guys. Yeah, and almost more memory-like than really totally fabrication. Mm. You know, like right. a lot of this scene feels like this conversation happened at some point. Mm. Literally the coach saying that these are the things I told you. Right. Right, yeah. This actor who plays Coach Molinaro, he's great. He's awesome. He's fucking true. First of all... Great choice for him. I love him in The Wire as Horseface Pacuso in season two. Just great, great actor, great character actor. And he does a nice job here with Coach Molinaro. Just an ugly human being and <laughs> just perfect for this role. Yeah, yeah. You buy him as this this high school coach who took an interest in Tony. But I love the way he talks, the way he, 
It's it's just it all felt very grounded. It yeah. made me want. He's, he's real. It may yeah. It made me want more of this era of Tony's life. And again, it, it also it's it's so sad too because we keep hearing over and over stories of Tony's potential and and his the fact that he there was something to him. And the coach even says Coach Molinari even says as much. You had what the the, the charisma and the smarts to lead men onto the field of sport. Kind of cheesy the way he says it, but it, it it's true. Like Tony has something to him. There's a reason he's climbed to the top of this hierarchy, scuzzy and and leeching an enterprise as the modern day mob is. He's at the top for a reason. He is who he is for a reason, and he has something a lot of the other gangsters don't have. And you have to wonder. It's one of the big ponderances of the series: is what would have happened had this guy put his energies and time into something else, and had a chance to escape this life if he early on. Right, if he had followed this father figure. Instead of Johnny Boy. Yeah. Right. What's that there, a bigger dingus than the one God gave you? (laughs) Some show you put on, more references to him being on TV, the 5 o'clock news. I love this idea that Buko was the biggest, was the worst of the bunch. (laughs) Tony Pissmeyer. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The exception that proves the rule. Well, you know everything. <laughs> I suppose you blame your father when you're crying to that shrink of yours. No, more my mother. Well, of course. Even better. Even better. Still yeah. gets me every time, that exchange. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got that therapist wrapped around your finger. That's what I do with people. And he tells them, I knew you'd take the easy way out. Tony fights back on that idea. It hasn't been easy. I got a house worth a million, too. I a beautiful wife. Do you have a wife? She's got the big house because I'm successful. And then we uh, hear the coach bring up the, I know your little secret. Tony wanted to be a coach. Or at least he said that. He claimed he was just shining him on because that's what I do. I love when subconscious Tony gets to admit that he's a manipulator and a liar. And uh, But who knows? What do we think of this? Coach Molinaro, this whole culmination here and then of course the bullets melting that's a great image tony on the floor coughing (laughs) like his dad right well as i mentioned i feel like there's a lot more reality in this dream scene which i I know is kind of a oxymoron but um you know i feel like these conversations with the coach really happen the coach as kind of the final ghost of the dream uh is the one that maybe has the most significant revelation because it brings tony the farthest back into himself uh, you know, what is that, you know, the, the core of the reasons why you are the way you are? Like, you, you wanted to be a leader of men, you chose this certain way of life, but you're not prepared to do the things that is necessary to live it. Really a, a great exchange. Um, I, yeah, I, I really love the reality of this sequence. And then, of course, Tony can't use gangster's tools to defeat the coach, right? It's, 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 he's not part of that world. You know, he can't just blow Coach Molinar away. A ghost is too powerful. He would not respond to that. The bullets turn to chocolate, I believe, in this scene. Um, you know. You'll never shut me up. <coughs> right, right. Yeah. This is the last thing we hear in the dream. Yeah, it's very well said, Jordan. And I think that uh, you said the final ghost. He wakes up, he calls Carmela, and among the things that are said, I think she says, oh, the nickname was Coach Mole. I wonder where he is now. I mean, he's mm. a mole. He's in the ground, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dead, he's already an old man then. So, right. Yeah. Dead and gone, but old ghosts come back. Mm. And they still haunt. And they still have an effect. 
and they're still part of you, and the past isn't over. It's not even past. And well, Tony still has to deal with it. The coach is very much alive in his mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And it, it also speaks to the fact that no matter how prepared Tony thinks he is, even for the potential task of maybe having to sell out or kill his own cousin, he's in no way prepared to deal with the task of reckoning with his past, reckoning with his potential, reckoning with the idea that he had other paths and other options and took the path that he chose. And, and he's not able to reckon with his mother, his father, with any of it. There's, there's, there, are th- there are tests in his past and in his dreams and in his subconscious that'll always be there shouting at him, and he just, he's just not prepared for what he has to do to get through it. That's also, I think these are all very important points. And it might also be something, not to criticize the way anybody else processes or interprets the show, it might be uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable for me at times, that we dig into this and it's more questions than answers. Yes. I mean, it's. I think in general on The Sopranos it's like that. But something like the last episode we did, Cold Cuts, got into anger and we found out a lot of things. Here we're getting into the subconscious, and we come out, and what? Yeah. There's no, it's not answers. It's more questions. And I'm going to give you something. I'm, this might, for those of you who have never been involved directly, and a lot of you I'm sure have been, but for those of you who haven't been involved in creative pursuits, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And this frustrates people because everybody asks show creators and writers, what does this mean? What is all that? It's possible that even they don't understand everything that came out on the page. It just felt right. David Chase might not even have all the answers here. And that's frustrating when fans approach them and want answers because Lord knows there are instances that have happened in the show previously and instances to come where fans have asked, what does that mean? And they don't get an answer they feel satisfied with. And the, the honest truth is sometimes even the writers don't know. It just, it's what feels right. It's what came out. They're speaking through the character's voice. And they're exploring like you are at, mm. in the creative process. That's the, that's the secret sauce. Yeah. But it makes for great TV. I fucking loved it. It does. <laughs> I, I find it incredibly engaging. I really do. This stuff is great. I'll take a dream episode anytime. Not all the time. You can't do this all the time. But once, twice a season, give us a big involved delve into the subconscious and I keep coming back to Lily's quote of comparing the show to The Wire, which is, you know, The Wire's a photograph and Sopranos is a painting. And this kind of shit is why. You really, once those opening credits hit, as brilliant as The Wire is, this is not a knock on The Wire, you knew generally what an episode of The Wire was going to entail from a general point of view. The Sopranos, you just never knew where they were going to take you after those opening credits go. You can get a weird episode with a side character. You can get a 45-minute dream. Or you could get a really bangerang war happening with gangsters that, you know, people getting blown up. It's, it's all great stuff. Let's get to the last couple beats here. Mr. Montavani is here to see Tony. We get the sense after Coach Molinaro yells, you'll never shut me up, that this is actually the end here. Yeah. He's up. He's... Tamping down his feelings tea by eating, he goes for the Toblerone and the uh, probably $12 bottle of water out of the... Uh... <laughs> More than that, yeah. yeah. And Mr. Montavani, as expected, is Chris Moltisanti. Send him up. These odd code names. Mr. Montavani here to see Mr. Petraglia. And Chris comes up and breaks the news. Tony B took out 
Billy Leotardo. You mean Philly. No, Billy. Phil got winged. Tony is beside himself here, but he's resigned to it because he just worked out that something was like this. He knew something was coming. He knew he knew he was going to do it. He lied to my face. Tony is now connecting the dots. Why Tony B felt so disconnected earlier. Guess he's fucked, poor guy. And Tony's line really says it all the way he delivers it, the gravity here. Poor guy. We're all fucked. Mm-hmm. You gonna eat that? <laughs> Chris with the sweets. Chris with the sweets. Yep, he's got a... He did, funny. <laughs> he did leave Tony the tea in Doblerone, by the oh, way. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, he did. That's so funny. He breaks huh. off the tea to open it. That's great. That's a great little touch. <laughs> Uh, and then he leaves, and this is the last we're going to get on this story beat for this episode, so they're really leaving us on a, we're in for a shit show here. There's no way him attempting to kill Phil and killing Billy is not going to be a catastrophic consequence next Oh, no. Name the next episode. That's it. Yeah, we just didn't see it. Right. We were told about it. Right. Right. No, that's, that's lights out. Yeah, so... Taking us back to, for first-time viewers, you don't know what's going to happen in long-term parking, but you know it's going to be a banger. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> Everything will work out. <laughs> this last beat, I want to credit everybody who works on this show. Everything about this last beat was perfect. The writing, the acting, the lighting was gorgeous. They got that, they nailed that. There is something ethereal and dreamlike for those of you who have woken up in the middle of the night and... and Stayed up to that like five twenty a.m. time. There's mm-hmm. something that you got that kind of. It's not quite light yet, but it's it's got that blue gray ethereal quality, ghostly quality. You got it, baby. This is where I get my episode title from. It's 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 great, and uh, Central Park, I assume, is quite beautiful in that moment. Right, and the the way the lighting, people. Tony keeps asking, "Is it light there yet?" And each time we see Carmela, it's a little bit more light in the bedroom, and you can kind of see it creeping up the blanket. It's, it's just so good. They have this. Perhaps very... as the hopefulness for their relationship is lighting up a little, I thought. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you said it when we were talking outside, Paul, before the episode. This conversation is more intimate than any of the numerous sex scenes we saw throughout this episode, and right. it's more fulfilling to Tony. And there's a reason. He calls her after all of this. Not anyone else. Not Char. No, no creepy Charmaine phone call. <laughs> no. Uh, and then we're you know, we're talking about the little runty barky dog next door. Can you hear him? It's just a sweet, beautifully lit, beautifully told moment. And we're out with three times a lady. Any thoughts on this final scene? And anything else you want to say about the test dream? Uh, I want to hear. Oh, why. Miss Kitty uh, just uh, intervened. <laughs> Miss Kitty. Paul, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will, I will, I'd like Jordan to discuss why our title is what it is. Uh, yeah, we titled uh, this episode The Graveyard Slot. I'm not even sure where to approach this, so I'm just going to dive in and then maybe kind of explain around it. You know, The Graveyard Slot refers to a position in programming where your late show is over, whether that's The Tonight Show or even the show that comes on after The Tonight Show, right? So now you're in that 12.30 to generally 5.30 a.m. slot where no one really is watching television unless there's something deeply wrong, right? (laughs) Um, Chris just referred to the blue-gray light of morning, but I was actually thinking of the blue-gray light of the television, Mm. specifically coming from my grandmother's room when I used to live there with her because she would watch TV all night in and out of sleep. 
Um, this is very much how this episode feels, like you're kind of in and out of sleep watching the television as the programming kind of wafts through your brain. Perhaps a season of The Sopranos. You know, uh, there's a Coen Brothers film called Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is uh, supposed to be kind of a parallel of The Odyssey. And the way they do the underworld in that movie is that the convicts of the chain gang at one point, which include Pete, John Turturro's character, are taken to a movie house where the gray phantoms of the film are played out in the darkness of the movie theater. And you think, ah, yes, those are the ghosts of the underworld. But the ghosts in this one are uh, more actual. They're more actual and less actual, right? They're the characters in Tony's dream, except that, with only a few exceptions, these people are all dead. They've all passed, but they can come alive again in this graveyard slot, the hours where Tony are asleep, you know, is asleep, these hours after midnight but before morning, where the world again is just... A little bit softer. We're in this in-between place in the Plaza Hotel, and it's, well, it's the graveyard slot, and anybody can come out and play and tell you something and truths that you yourself have not yet realized. I'm also deeply reminded of a favorite of mine, and yours, I'm sure, listener, uh, Death of a Salesman. Uh, you know, Arthur Miller, a master of blending uh, reality and illusion, where uh, Willie Loman, our uh, titular salesman, uh, especially in the moments before his suicide, I think the stage direction is something like... Um, you know, a swirl of faces and voices uh, set upon him. Uh, a character that constantly lives with his ghosts even as he's living his life. The ghost of his younger version of his son Biff. Uh, the ghost of his mistress. The ghost of his brother Ben who went off and had uh, successful adventures off without him, right? There are things to be learned from these uh, ghosts. Um, Christmas Carol is a huge reference in this episode for a reason, right? Tony has to kind of go through this walk through the underworld to realize what he needs to realize about Tony B, about Carmella, uh, about himself. Uh, you know, it's in this walk and this adventure through the underworld that he learns this. Some viewers actually believe it is the literal underworld he's going through in this episode because they take the plaza to be like an overlook-like space where this hotel is some kind of gateway to the land of the dead and Tony has some kind of a real experience that he just happens to think he is asleep through and the bellhop Jesus has ushered him in past the hearse that passes by the plaza hotel in the first place and that Tony wakes up literally into the underworld and then gets out of it with news that the job that he has been preparing for has finally arrived. I think the test stream prepares us for it in a much more interesting way than just Christopher meeting him in the Bing and saying, Tony B did a bad thing, let's go deal with it. We need to go through the journey with Tony because it's more psychologically satisfying to us. And of course, it gives our writers, our craftsmen in this show, the opportunity to connect the Sopranos to the web work of things that are going on that make up the tapestry of the show itself thusly enriching our experience as viewers, right? Because now it's more than Tony just going on the journey, it's all of us, and it's all of us in the culture going through this as well. It's this perpetual happening uh, that happens in a strange place at a strange time. And I don't think you could do it another way except to say it happened in a dream. You want me to follow that? I'm not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never shut Jordan up. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to attempt to top that either, so let's close out on that wonderful note. This has been an amazing uh, episode. I'm glad we finally got to cover it. I don't know that we did it justice, because I, I, I don't know that anyone could do this justice except David Chase and, and cast and crew. So, great job. Test Dream is, is an A-plus for me. I know it split the fan base, and that's okay. But you can't deny that, for what it is, it's 
really, really good. Has it aged into him itself? Do more people accept this episode as great now? Well, and that's an interesting point of discussion to close this out here, actually, because I actually think that now that all has said and done, it plays better in the series. I think a lot, honestly, I think a lot of the anxiety around this episode was the season was coming to a close. It wasn't certain there was going to be another season after this. So people are thinking, oh my God, is this like... Are we wrapping up The Sopranos and this is what we have two episodes <laughs> away from the end? I think, among other things, Matt Weiner's credit on this brought some people back to it after Mad Men. Yeah. Not that he didn't have other credits, but this was, of course, as Jordan pointed out in his closing remarks, a singular kind of episode. It was a different kind of episode. Mm-hmm. So people came back and was like, oh, the writing on Mad Men is really good. Let's check out that episode. And I do think it's um, undergone some um, revisiting. A movie that I'm sure David Chase watched is a movie from the 70s by Louis Bunuel. It's a French movie called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Um, and perhaps some people in our audience haven't seen it. I'd recommend it really highly. Like people in the nail salon, it's a, it might be a little weird. Because mm-hmm. I remember watching it and thinking, like, what is this movie? It doesn't have a plot. It's a bunch of dream sequences mm-hmm. all about people trying to have a dinner party. And they keep on getting thwarted. It's, it's weird. Yeah. But it's a bunch of dreams. And I... I remember talking to a friend about it, and he said, "What the dream, what the movie is, is a feast of the subconscious. Yeah, and mm. you keep digging in and digging in, and it's a different kind of story, and that's okay, and it's okay that not everybody digs it. Also. Yes, completely correct. So that's, I guess, that would be the way I feel generally about this episode. It's a, di- it's the feast of the subconscious. It's, it's different, and if you don't like it, then hey, in terms of mayhem, the next episode is going to accommodate you. <laughs> correct. Yeah." Absolutely, Paul. I agree with everything you just said. And the other thing you got to remember is the way people watch TV now is different. When you're watching something week to week, it has a different energy to it also than the way people watch TV now. Because you got to also think about it. You talked about the richness of the story and it being that delve into the subconscious. And There's a difference, folks, between plot and story. Plot is not story. You can have one without the other. And plot-wise, sure, maybe there's two plot-important, quote-unquote, important plot beats. But this episode is filled to the brim with story. More story than we could even uncover. It's all there. It's beautiful. It's just in a much different package. Yes, plot-wise, Phil kills Angelo. Tony Tony attempts to kill Phil. That's the plot of this episode from that standpoint. But the story is where it shines. And if you're anxious about the plot, if you're like, fuck... Where you might be frustrated having to wait a week for what's coming next. Nowadays, people will just, oh man, Test Dream, that was great. Let's talk about it for 10 minutes and then go right into the next one because everybody's streaming everything, right? So I think this episode, to answer, get back to your question, Jordan, probably plays better now than it did when it aired because the way TV watching has changed. And it might feel better to have this episode in the midst if you can just barrel right into the next one. Sure. This was probably a hard one to discuss at the water cooler the next day. Or at the nail salon. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you. This was everything I wanted it to be and more. Your insights, your genius have been wonderful. We're wrapping up on season five. I'm devastated by the one that we have to cover next because it's such a shit show in a great way. Long-term parking might be my top episode in the series. It's consistently ranked as a series high. I'm very excited. We know Sopranos really throws out bangers of penultimates. I can't wait to cover it. I'm pretty sure we're going to have Lily back for that one. 
So a lot of great stuff ahead still, and we are officially in my favorite stretch of Sopranos episodes, end of five into beginning of six. So I'm, I'm jazzed up. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. We will see you next time for Long Term Parking. What violin? Oh, <laughs>